John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Word of God says. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus, uh, Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So every job, no matter what, what it is, has some things that, that, that are great about it, and there are some difficulties that come with every job. Um, I remember as a young man thinking about what it would be like to pastor a church. I really felt like it would be kind of like summer camp, but all the time where it would be joy-filled and precious people-filled and just a really good experience every day. Now, sometimes it is like that. But one of the things about being a pastor that, that you don't really think through when you're in your early days is how much of your time will be spent around sickness and death. 
When people are sick, when they get a difficult diagnosis, they call their pastor and they, they, they want, and rightly so, and I'm glad to do this, they, they want to come for you to come and pray with them and comfort them and speak words of truth to them. And when death comes, those are moments too where pastors get to walk with and minister to families. And so oftentimes, particularly if it's a church member, as, as death is approaching, we spend more and more and more time with the family. And then when death comes, we, we spend time with the family and walking through the, the, uh, the, the funeral process with them and, and ministering all the way and preaching the gospel as we do. Now, just as a practical sense, when those moments come, some of them, particularly when they're spread out, they're not too burdensome. But every now and then, there have been some seasons in my ministry when it seemed like there were just, uh, just one after another, funeral after funeral, and sometimes because of the tragedy of the situation. So someone young died, or, or the way someone was taken was tragic or unexpected. It produces uh, just a, a sense of, of weight and grief that that uh, is unexpected. And, and, it, and if you've experienced grief in your life recently, you understand it colors everything about your life. So it, it, it changes the way your food tastes. It changes the way you enjoy things. When, when grief is heavy and present, it is in everything that you do. Now, the reality of it is, when those moments come, I, I would hope that most pastors would do what they ought to do. You would go to the Bible and you would look for words of comfort. But the thing about the Bible is, if, if you're struggling in a moment where you're preparing to preach a funeral and you want to find a funeral message that Jesus preached, you won't find one. Nowhere in the pages of Scripture did Jesus ever preach a funeral. And in fact, the only thing you can really say about how Jesus responded to funerals was that he broke them up and he ruined them. Amen? Because when Jesus arrived to funerals, he could not stand death, and life always broke out. What we read in chapter 20 is what begins in the first part of this chapter is familiar ground for all of us. Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb, and it's an unpleasant task, but it was part of the, the, the reality of the day that you would, you would put heavy and strong spices on a dead corpse to attempt to cover up the stench of rot. It's not a pleasant task, but it was her task to do, and she's going. And you can identify with the grief that she is feeling. And even as she's performing these tasks, doing it under the weight and the burden of grief, when she gets there and they initially see that the, that the, the, the stone has been rolled away and that the body of Jesus is, is missing, her first reaction is not to rejoice in the resurrection. Her first reaction is to fear that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And the reason why she fears that is because that is the most logical, natural conclusion. She goes and tells the disciples, they come and see, and it's an interesting interplay that, that, that John reports to us. So, so, so Peter and John come and believe and leave, and there's Mary Magdalene still outside. I don't know if they didn't speak to her. I don't know what happened with that interaction, but she's still outside. And she, when she comes into the, the, the tomb, she has this wonderful interaction with the angels and then with Jesus. And even as she speaks with Jesus, she's still thinking in practical, normal human terms. Listen to the intensity and the brokenness of what she asked Jesus. She says, listen, 
if you've, if you've taken his body somewhere, just tell me where it is and I'll go get it. I identify that if you've got children in your house, there has been a moment in your life when your kids have done something awful, terrible. And the awfulness and the terribleness of what they have done is so great, but the consequence of it is you got to deal with that first. And so you tell this to your children. Listen, I'm not mad. That's a lie. I'm not mad. Just tell me. You know, they hid your car keys. Just tell me where you hid my car keys. We'll deal with you being in trouble later is what you're thinking. Tell me where you hid my wallet. Tell me what you did with such and such. I just got to know this. I've got to deal with that situation first. That's what Mary's doing. Listen, I will put aside the awfulness of what has happened. Stolen the body of Jesus. Just tell me where you've put it. And I'll go get it and, and, and honor his corpse. And that's when Jesus speaks her name. Mary, she hears his voice. She believes she sees that he is indeed her Lord who is no longer dead. And the point is, in chapter 20 of John, that at that moment, everything, everything, everything has changed. That's the point I want to make with you today as we consider this passage. The hope of the gospel is not that we would cope with death. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus has defeated death. In sin, no one can escape death or its curse, but Jesus has defeated death. And through salvation, we can know his resurrection as well. So here are just three simple things I want us to see out of this passage this morning. Number one, the resurrection gives hope. And I don't know your story this morning. It may be that you walked in these doors today just barely holding on, and hope is fleeting. And I want you to hear a word today. This is maybe the most important word you will hear today. And that is because the tomb of Christ is empty, you and I can have hope in a world that is messed up and broken. The resurrection gives hope. Number two, the resurrection is the gospel. So without what happened at the tomb of Jesus, nothing else matters. I often say, listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the tomb, we've got better things we could be doing this morning. For no other thing, we could be sleeping in this morning. We had prom last night. Anybody stay up too late last night? I see those hands, praise God. Now we're going to be looking at y'all, making sure your eyeballs stay awake all morning this morning. If Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, it would be okay, right, and in fact, I think the smart thing for us all to have done, take an easy Sunday morning, read the paper if you still get the thing, and drink an extra cup of coffee. Just relax, it's been a long week. The resurrection changes everything. It gives us hope in a broken world. The resurrection is the gospel of Jesus. And then lastly, the resurrection compels. I, I think that if you believe on Jesus and the empty tomb, it not only changes how you approach this world, it also changes how you respond and, 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 and deal with the gospel in this world. So let's begin with the resurrection gives hope. Now, here's the truth. Knowledge without experience is powerless knowledge without experience is powerless so uh, peter and john and mary magdalene had knowledge in fact when you read the gospel accounts of the of the um, of the resurrection in, in most of the gospel accounts when 
when they, when they respond to, the, to, the, uh, to Jesus and, and in some of the accounts when they respond to the angels, they say, he is risen as he told you he was going to do. In fact, if you just turn back two or three chapters before this, Jesus has said, listen, I'm going to die, I'm going to be in the grave for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. And as you read through, you might look back and go, that seems rather obvious, why didn't they get that? They had the knowledge, they knew stuff about Jesus, but they had not experienced things yet. Mary and the disciples knew the teachings of Jesus. They had heard him teach on the resurrection. They, they knew all they needed to know, but their knowledge alone did not give them hope. Listen to me carefully. Their knowledge alone did not give them hope. Mary begins her week not with rejoicing, but with mourning. She's moving on with the regular things of life. She's moving on with the practical realities of dealing with death. She's planning and planning and pushing through all the things you have to do when somebody dies and you have to work through the funeral and the flowers and the, the spices and all of those things. It may be unpleasant, but it's what you do when someone dies. Our culture particularly puts a lot of emphasis on education. As a result, the Western church has put a high value on education. We have things called Sunday school. We, we talk about um, we, we have positions in our churches called pastors of education. We sometimes talk about coming to church to learn more about Jesus. And those things are fine and good, friends, but it is possible to know much about Jesus and have no hope. It's possible to be a theologian and have no hope. It is possible to be greatly educated in the scripture and not be saved. For Mary and the disciples, all their knowledge had not produced hope. Experiencing Jesus' death and resurrection gives your understanding, your, uh, gives experience to your understanding of your knowledge. That's what produces hope in your life. It would not be until after they saw the empty tomb that their knowledge had meaning and their knowledge with, their, with the experience of the empty tomb produced hope in their lives. Beginning of chapter 20, no hope. After the empty tomb, there's no end to their hope. Somebody say amen to that. Knowledge without experience does not produce hope in our life. I would even say further than that, partial understanding is hopeless. Without understanding the whole gospel, there is no hope. So Mary started the day doing normal things, but she ended the day proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus it is the whole gospel that we preach, his life, his death, and his resurrection. You have to take all three of those things to have the hope of the gospel. If you only have the life of Jesus, he may be a great teacher, but you can ignore his teaching. If you if he, if he, uh, only have the death of Jesus, he may be an interesting historical figure. He may even be a powerful martyr that we might think about and talk about, but there's no hope. But if you have the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, that's what produces hope in your life. The resurrection gives authority to his life and to his teaching. The resurrection gives victory to his death. The resurrection gives hope to his return. As we've gathered here today in this room, some of you, because it's familiar ground, some of you, maybe the very first time you've been in church or been in church in a very long while, the beckoning is for you to come and experience and know the risen Savior, Jesus. Salvation is not about repeating a confessional statement. 
Salvation is not about performing ceremonial rites. Salvation doesn't come from affirming a doctrinal statement. These things may come, but they do not save. Salvation comes from knowing the living Savior, Jesus. There are other religions that worship leaders who have died long ago. Many of these religions have built shrines around the burial places of their leaders. You will find no shrine around the body of Jesus. In fact, you can't even find the tomb. Now, if you go to Israel today, they'll tell you that this was where we think Jesus was buried, but we're not even sure of that. There's purpose in that. There's eternal purpose in that. Because we celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus. Christians have no body to visit, no grave to worship because Jesus is risen from the dead. We don't worship a dead leader, but a risen Savior, Jesus. John gives us these interesting details about the burial cloths. And the point that he's making is that they're, that, is that they're undisturbed, neither by the, the body being moved or the cloths being removed. Jesus didn't unwrap. He passed through them and left them as they were. And the point is that he has risen and he is alive today. The beckoning, dear friends, on this Sunday and every Sunday is come and know, not a doctrinal statement, not ritual and rites, but come and know the risen Savior who lived, who died, and who rose again. The resurrection gives hope. But secondly, I want you to see that the resurrection is the gospel. Now, for this, I want us to think, uh, to turn our attention to another New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, in that chapter, these are the words of Paul. And he writes in that chapter, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is chapter 15, verse 3. What I also received, and listen to what he says. He, he sums up the gospel with these words. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's those, those things. That he, that, he, um, that he died for our sins, that he uh, was buried and he was raised again on the third day. And then he says later in that chapter, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Listen to me very carefully. When we talk about the good news, so the gospel means good news, when we talk about the good news of the gospel, what we mean by that is the resurrection. The resurrection is the good news. Notice back in, in John chapter 20, what does Jesus say? Well, well, what does Simon, Peter, and John do when they realize the tomb is empty and that Jesus has risen from the grave? They want to go tell the good news to their brothers. What does Jesus instruct Mary to do? Go and tell the good news. This is wonderful, good, precious news. Go and make known the good news. To preach the gospel is to preach the resurrection. Now, no one needs a Ph.D. or seminary training to understand the gospel. The gospel is the greatest truth of all history, and yet even a child can understand it, that Jesus was really dead and Jesus really rose again. Now, there's no other faith that teaches that. There are faiths that teach that their leaders were great and died, but no other faith teaches that their leader lived, physically died, and then on their own power rose again from the grave. The gospel is simply that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again, and lives today. 
Friends, I believe that the power of the gospel rests on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the gospel is false. That's what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 15. It's always fascinated me. You know, I, I grew up in church, and so when you grow up in church and you hear frequently the testimony of Scripture, you, you think that that's what everybody else in the whole world hears frequently too. And so from, from, from a baby all the way until I went to high school, grew up in church, so every Easter, heard the Easter story, Jesus was in the tomb and, and rose again and, and lives today. Most, most familiar message that, that I understood about the gospel. I, I get to college and and uh, I was actually a, a Christian ministries major. So one of the things that we were doing is we were studying some, some theologians and some, and some current theologians. And I discovered that there's a whole class of theologians that, that, are, that were teaching that Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. And that was fascinating to me. I never heard that before. And so I began to read, what in the world are they talking about? And they are, we're not, we're not, I don't spend time with this this morning, but they are fantastical in their explanations of how Jesus didn't rise from the grave, all kinds of things from that he, he was on the cross and swooned, had a little bit of a fainting spell, and then the coolness of the tomb um, rose again. But, but here's the problem with all of those things. If those things were true and Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if, if it was true that you can explain away how he could have hung on the cross those many hours, be stabbed in the side uh, by, the, by the soldiers, be laid in the grave, and three days later be able to um, have enough strength to get up and and to roll the stone away and sneak off and not tell anybody? If, if that really happened, then you destroy the very power of the gospel. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, then you and I are still in our sins and there is no hope of salvation. But Paul says, but he did, and we believe, and we have hope. Paul uh, says that Scripture, uh, uh, that um, Paul is making the case that the testimony of Scripture was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus, that there is no hope without the resurrection, and with the resurrection, all of the hope of the promise of Scripture rests on it. Because he rose from the grave, I can stand here today and proclaim with confidence that there is hope in Jesus. You can believe in confidence that there is salvation in Jesus. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see out of this passage. And that's really, for me, in verse 18. If you'll look with me back in John chapter 20, verse 18. There's this powerful moment, verse 16, where Jesus calls Mary's name. It's a, it's a, it's a moment. I mean, it's a moment. In seconds before, she's wanting to know where they have hidden the body of Jesus. Jesus speaks her name, and she flips on a dime, recognizing who he is. Now, John doesn't describe it other than Jesus' response to that, and we assume from Jesus' response in verse, verse 17 that she grabs hold of Jesus and won't let loose. I get that, don't you? I mean, I, I, don't you understand that response? Who she thought she was going to have to chase down and hunt for a dead corpse, she's now standing in front of the living Savior, Jesus. She's got a hold of him, and she's not letting loose. And Jesus says, got to let loose of me, Mary. Got to let loose of me. And, and, he, and he says... Um, I'm not yet, uh, do not cling to me, for I'm not yet ascended, this is verse 17, to the Father. But go to my brothers, listen to what he says to him, or to her. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Just briefly here. The resurrection transforms who you are. 
If you believe that Jesus indeed died for your sins, was buried, and rose again, then it changes everything about your life. And I think it changes in these three ways. Number one, you can't help yourself but to proclaim the resurrected Jesus. Mary's first response to seeing the resurrected Jesus was to go and tell the disciples. Go and make it known. In fact, when you see everybody in all of the gospel accounts of how, what their first response to seeing Jesus is, they want others to know. The disciples want others to know. Mary wants others to know. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. Mary's first response was to go and to tell, to be an angelo or a messenger of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples and, and, and part of what he's commanded us to go is declare the truth that I have risen from the grave and live today. Without, the, without, knowing the resurre- without understanding and knowing the resurrection, there is no motivation to proclaim the res- risen Jesus. But if you've experienced the resurrected Jesus, you cannot keep your mouth shut about the glorious resurrected Jesus. Go and tell. Number two, teach the commandments. So I've already talked about a little bit about how our culture values education and how education alone is not enough. To try and earn your salvation through education is worthless, but this does not mean that education alone or altogether is worthless. The resurrection is, gives the authority to the teachings of Jesus. Now listen to me carefully how this works. So up until the grave, Jesus had been teaching we, we, we read like the Sermon on the Mount, those long sections of Jesus' teaching. They are great and powerful teachings. But if they stand on their own, just a guy out in the country giving some moral teachings, they may be interesting, but they don't have the weight of eternal authority. But you take Jesus' teaching, and then he dies for our sins, put in the grave, and then is risen from the grave. When Jesus rises again, that is God's stamp of authority. This indeed is my son, and his words indeed are my words. And so when you, when you can, are confronted with the resurrection of Jesus, it compels you to teach his teachings, not because they are a good idea, but because they are the words of the risen Savior. Because Jesus has been risen from the grave, his words have authority The resurrection gives understanding to the teachings of Jesus. Now, the disciples had not yet believed, but the report of Mary and later their own encounter changes their understanding. And when John sees the empty tomb and the grave clothes, he believes. And these men would spend the rest of their lives proclaiming the teachings of the risen Savior, Jesus. Why do I want you to know what Jesus commanded? I want you to know what Jesus commanded because I believe them to be true in part because of the resurrection of Jesus. We teach his commands not because they are good ideas, but because they are the commands of God testified to by the empty grave. One other thing, and that is that we obey the commands of Jesus. When the disciples experienced the resurrected Jesus, they would, most of them, all of them would give the rest of their lives for the Lord, and most of them would become martyrs for the Lord. The disciples would spend the rest of their lives fulfilling the command the command of Jesus to teach all that he commanded us and go literally to the ends of the world. The resurrection testifies to who Jesus is. He is God. He does have authority over life and death. He is the creator of all things, and he is the one without sin. What compels a Christian to obey Jesus? It is not that he was a great man, but rather that he is God's son who has risen from the grave. Oh, friends, you might be 
shamed into obeying the commands of Jesus. And that might work for a while. You might be manipulated into uh, obeying the commands of Jesus, and that might work for as long as the one who's manipulating you is applying pressure. But if you will stand at the edge of the empty tomb and recognize who he is, our Lord who died for our sins, went to the grave and rose again, it's not that you are being made to obey, it is that you cannot help but obey Jesus, our risen Savior. So I... You're probably like me in that on the right-hand side of my computer screen, sometimes on my iPhone, I get these, these news alerts. And I don't know who's curating the news alerts, but they're never really news. It's always goofy stuff. And I've sort of learned just to ignore it. But one caught my attention this past week, in part because I was thinking about what was coming today. And the news report said this. It was some actor... And it was, uh, it was said, he has chosen, or it says he does not want to force his religion upon his children. Now, I would later go back and, and read the article, and the article was glowing and supportive of this parent's um, wise and, and sort of cutting-edge parenting skill. And, and it talked about his faith and how um, he liked it and how it helped him, but he didn't want to force on his children his own faith. Now, when I read the headline, before I actually read the article, I actually knew what was behind it before I read it, and this is it. He didn't force his religion on his children because he didn't believe in his own religion. And the reason why I'm able to say that is because every parent, since parents were had started having children, have forced all kinds of things on our children. Amen? Do I, do I hear a testimony? We force them the kind of stuff they're going to eat. You will eat your peas and carrots. Now, I don't know if this still happens, but I grew up in a day when you couldn't leave the table until you had finished your plate. That was my parents forcing food that I would eat. We force our children to brush their teeth regularly. Amen? Because we can't stand their breath if they don't. We force our children to bathe somewhat regularly. I loved as a kid during summer making the argument, Mom, I don't have to take a bath because I swam all day. And even then, mom would say, but on Saturday night, you have to take a bath before you go to church on Sunday. Oh, we force education on our children. What, you know, I, I, what kid doesn't wake up on Monday morning and, and feel a little ill and not want to go to school? Amen. But what do you say? My dad, you know, if we were sick to our stomachs and, and we, we, we got sick, my dad's response to that, well, don't you feel better? Now get up and go to school forced school on us. There's a thousand other things that you force on your children. And by the way, parents, you're forcing those things on your children, not because you're looking for ways to make their lives miserable, but because in all those things that you're forcing on your children, you have come to the conclusion and firm belief that they have some benefit, that there are something good behind them, that they will bless your children. And so even though your children don't like it, even though they push back against it, maybe they complain, scream, and cry. You hold your ground and say, nope, I'm mom and dad, and you are going to do this if it kills us both. You've been there. So, why would you not force your religion on your children? Well, if you don't believe it, don't force it. If it's a good idea, don't force it. If it's just something that gives you momentary comfort but doesn't have eternal value, don't force it. But if you believe, listen to me carefully, if you believe that because of your sin and my sin, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and the consequence of that is to burn in hell for eternity, 
and that the only hope for salvation is through Jesus who died for our sins, was put in the grave, and rose again, I believe you'd force that. Amen. How would you not do all that you could to press that into your children's life so that they might have the benefit of salvation, that their name might be written in the Lamb's book of life, and that they too might be in glory forever, knowing and worshiping the resurrected Jesus. That's a whole lot more important than peas and carrots. That's a whole lot more important than what's being taught in the elementary school and high school. That's a whole lot more important than taking baths and brushing teeth. That has eternal Jesus was a teacher of moral lessons, he might be helpful for some, but not for others. If Jesus was an example of simple living, he might be beneficial for some to emulate and not for others. But if Jesus lived perfectly without sin, died a once for, as a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin, and on the third day was put in the grave, and on the third day defeated death, you cannot ignore him. Friends, the resurrection is the only hope. The resurrection is the only answer to the curse of sin and death. The resurrection changes everything. And our invitation to you today is to come and know the resurrected Jesus. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.